Well, the children are going to remain with us this Sunday. Every fifth Sunday of those months that have five Sundays, the children remain in the service. We just call it a family worship service. Um, Because it is a family worship service and the kids are going to remain with us, and I love the kids and I don't want to test their patience, and I love you guys, and I, I know that visuals help you as well. I have visuals this Sunday. Sometimes visuals are helpful, and sometimes they mess me up so bad. So we'll just see together what's going to happen this time. I'll get it to where people can see it as best I can. Okay, we'll see how this goes. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're moving our way through 1 Corinthians each summer, and we find ourselves in chapter 7 beginning at verse 32. And uh, it'd be good for you to follow along in your Bible, although it will be projected as well. As you're finding 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32, uh, you don't have to answer out loud, but I wonder how you're doing. I wonder how you're doing this weekend, this Sunday, this week. I wonder how you're doing this July, this summer. I wonder if any of you have felt anxious at all recently. Felt any stress, felt overwhelmed at all, anything like that? If so, I know some of you do deal with anxiety, um, and others probably do, but maybe don't call it anxiety. I have really good news for you today, and our passage opens with just really good, straightforward news for people who struggle with stress, anxiety, feeling overwhelmed. I just want to read just the first part of the first verse to start us off. It says, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 The first part of verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. So this is God's word, inspired by the Holy Spirit, uh, written down through uh, the Apostle Paul. Now, originally Paul was writing to the Corinthian Christians, answering questions they had about marriage and singleness and betrothal, which is a little bit similar to our concept of engagement. But in the midst of all that, God, through the Holy Spirit, through Paul, through this letter to the Corinthians, says to us, Christians today, in his living, active word, I want you to be free from anxieties. Now, I never used to have anxieties. I've told you that before. I was the most laid-back guy you can imagine. I didn't even know what Meredith was talking about when she talked about having anxieties when we first started dating. But then sure enough, as I began to assume responsibility for things, and I wasn't just playing tennis and watching TV all day, every day, I started to feel anxieties too. And believe it or not, even now as your pastor, uh, I have not reached spiritual perfection, and I still have anxieties. Um, You wouldn't believe it, but every Sunday, as many times as I've preached to you, as much as I love you and I know you love me, I still have anxiety just even about doing what I'm doing right now. And it's good news to me to know that in my battle with anxiety, stress, feeling overwhelmed, things like this, I have an ally in God himself. God himself wants me to be free from anxieties. And in your battles... With these things. You have an ally, the most powerful possible imaginable ally. God Himself wants you to be free from anxieties. This is really good news. Now, Paul, like I said, he's originally writing to them about betrothal, 
which is a very narrow subject that probably is not of a great deal of interest to you today unless you are engaged, thinking about getting engaged, have children, family members, people you love who are engaged. So far he's told them, don't get married, which has been surprising um, advice, I think, for many of us to hear. And he's said, if you want my advice, don't get married because there's persecution going on and you don't want to take on a marriage relationship right now, and the time is short. Jesus is going to return soon. Are you sure you want to get into an endeavor like this right now? And this passage introduces another reason, a third reason, that has to do with anxieties. There's a root word that's translated anxieties here in the ESV in verse 32, and the root of that word occurs six times in these four verses. So I think it's safe to say that that's the focus of the passage. And I'd like to just read through it together, if we could. Verses 32 through 35. Paul writes, I want you to be free from anxieties. This Greek word is the first time we see it in this passage. The unmarried man is anxious, there it is again, about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And that's that same word again, just translated a little bit differently into English. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious, there's the sixth occurrence, about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. I think one of the biggest benefits we can gain from this passage this morning is a new word. A new word to help us understand and think about our own anxieties. Words are important. The words we choose, the words we use to think through things, they shape our understanding of things. And as they shape our understanding of things, they shape how we respond to things. The word here, I'll teach you a little Greek. I know the kids are probably excited about that. In English, it sounds like marizo, and it means part. That's what this root word all through this passage it means. It means part, as in a, a part that is separated from the whole. It's the idea of division. It's a part that's been divided out of something that was formerly whole. United and intact. It can mean, in its most literal form, divide, the way he uses it in verse 34. And his interests are divided. It can mean more generally, concern or cares, which I know your NIV probably uses in all the other verses, or anxieties, as my translation says. Now usually, well maybe not usually, but often, when we think about our own struggles with anxiety, we think in terms of stress. At least in my own experience, I know that that's the language I tend to use when I think about my anxieties. I I think in stress language. I'm stressed out. It's been a stressful week. Things are just really stressful right now. Have you guys ever used phrases like this? I think you have. I've heard you talk like this. Stress language is the language of tension and weight And it carries the idea, Rick told me I could have this paint stick. 
So it's the idea of something that should be like this being put under stress and bent in a way that's unnatural. And so when we talk in terms of stress, we mean our load is getting heavy and we're bending under the load and we feel like we might snap. And thinking about it in stress terms, we respond to it in stress terms. So what do you do to get relief if this is your problem? If your job or your marriage or your financial situation is causing you to feel like this, what do you do? You seek relief from it. You need relief from the tension. You need escape from the tension so you can return to normalcy. Now, often that is the case. Often that is what we need. In Matthew chapter eleven twenty-eight, Jesus addresses that. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, weighed down, stressed out, with high tension in your life. Come to me, and I will give you rest. I will give you relief from it. I will give you a return to normalcy. So that's, that it is valid. It's just not comprehensive. It's not the only way to understand our anxiety. What we gain from this passage is a new word, a new concept to help us think about it in a more nuanced way, a more biblical way. This Marizo language that means divided or fragmented, split into parts, closer to the concept that you mean when you say, I just feel like I'm being pulled in a thousand different directions right now. This is actually more common in the Bible. This is more biblical language for anxiety than stress language, division language. Now, when we think in those terms for relief, we don't just need return to normalcy, and we don't just need escape and relief from tension. We need wholeness. If our problem is stress, we need relief from stress. If our problem is we're fragmented, we're split apart by too many things, our interests are split apart going too many directions, our devotion is divided up, what we need is to be brought back together. We need to be re-congealed. We need to be reunited. We need to be made whole again. I wanted to show you a couple of other passages that you're probably familiar with where this concept occurs. One of those is in Matthew chapter 6. This won't be projected. But it's a familiar passage, especially if you do struggle with anxiety. I bet you've been here before. Matthew chapter 6 Starting at verse 25, Jesus is teaching his disciples and he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. And it's that same word with that same root idea of being divided up. He says, Therefore I tell you, don't be all divided up about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, divided up, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious and all divided up about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, don't be all divided up, saying, 
What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And then verse 33 is the ultimate remedy for this. You're all divided up. You're all segmented and fragmented because you're, you're thinking about your clothes and what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat, how you're going to live. And instead of doing all those things, you need to trust in your good heavenly Father who loves you. And then verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So Jesus' answer to all this anxiety about your life, your clothes, your food, is to bring it all, corral it all together into a singular focus. You don't need to be out, your mind doesn't need to be scattered about worrying about all these things. You've got a father that's going to take care of you. Gather all that mental energy in, into a single-minded pursuit of the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Now, there's one more, another passage I want to show you. Philippians 4 is another great passage for the anxious person. Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 6. It says, Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be all divided up about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So here again is the picture of the Christian who's all mixed up, all divided up, fragmented up with anxieties. It says you can start to gather that all back together and make yourself whole again if you'll just pull it all into a united prayer to your good Heavenly Father. And in the next verse, the result and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart's and your minds in Christ Jesus. And that word peace does not just mean return to um, quiet. It means wholeness. It comes from the Jewish concept of shalom. It comes from this idea of wholeness. That's what, biblically, when you see peace, almost every time you see the word peace in English, it means wholeness. Having been put right back together, like you're meant to be. Not all fragmented and divided up into parts. I read a book recently. I probably mentioned it before because it was a really good book. I think the author was a Christian, but it wasn't written for a Christian audience. It was just a general book, and it was called Essentialism. And in there, he makes the point, he does a historical study of the word priority. And it turns out the word priority should not ever be used plural. Priorities is a misnomer. And it wasn't until sometime in the early 1900s that it was ever used in the plural. It was always just priority, singular. Because what the word means is the one thing, the one important thing, the one next thing. But what we do is we try to bend reality and think that we can have 15 priorities, We can have 15 one things, and they can all be equally important. And what we find is that we we pursuing 15 priorities, 15 one things that are the most important, that we become very anxious, and we become very mixed up, and we become very fragmented. Part of the promise of Jesus Christ is that we're made whole again. We're able to live the way we were designed to live. All the studies will tell you that we can't multitask. 
We think we can multitask. But all the scientists just sort of shake their head at us in our foolishness because they know how the brain works and we can't do it. We're designed for one thing, one thing at a time. And that's the way it is spiritually, and that's the way it is with our decision-making. And one of the biggest dangers to our wholeness, our peace, is what I'll call dividers. It's decisions we make, commitments we make, that divide us up. Divide our focus, divide our hearts, divide our loves, divide our motives, divide our interests, divide our devotions. Often what's troubling us Though it seems like our load is too heavy, what's troubling us isn't that our load is too heavy. It's that we're all divided up. And Jesus makes people whole again. Now here, Paul specifically is talking about marriage, and we'll read what he says, starting at the second half of verse 32. The unmarried man is anxious, concerned, in this case is how he's using the word. He plays back and forth with the way the word is used. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. Now again, this is really interesting because we know that marriage is good. We know that marriage is good. Generally speaking, it's good. God ordained it. God created it. We know from Ephesians 5 that it's, it's full of all these glorious realities and it's, it represents Jesus' love for the church and the church's trusting love for Jesus. And it's really good, yet Paul is advising these betrothed couples, wait a minute, maybe you shouldn't get married. Maybe you would be more undividedly devoted to the Lord if you just stayed single because that's really the priority. And that's a very different way of thinking to us, isn't it? Our way of thinking is, if it's good, let's add it on. We can do it all, and if it's good, there's no reason not to do it. And Paul's saying there's really only one thing that's going to matter in the end, and that's if you were fully devoted to the Lord. Meredith and I did premarital counseling together when we were about to get married with my pastor, Barry Bird, who Chris remembers. Um, And we sat there, and he asked us, why do you want to get married? And I was all nervous, thinking that maybe he was not going to let us get married if I answered wrong. And I said something stupid. I don't even remember what it was. Something about love, some fluffy, meaningless stuff. Meredith, on the other hand, because she is so smart and wise, said, well, we want to get married. And this actually is something we had talked about. I just, in my nervousness, forgot it. We want to get married because we think that we can better serve the Lord together than we can apart. And, of course, my pastor was like, awesome. <laughs> that is the reason to get married. If you, if you are getting married because you will be more focused in your devotion to the Lord because of your marriage than you would be apart, then get married. If you're getting married for any other reason, though, you might want to consider not doing it. And if you're wondering, yes, I do talk like this to my couples that I do premarital counseling with. Of course, by the time they get to me, there's so much momentum headed for that wedding, there's nothing that's going to stop it. But So we get a new word, a new way to think about our anxieties for here. Maybe the problem isn't that the load's too heavy. Maybe the problem is that we are too divided up, and we need Jesus Christ to make us whole again. 
And from this, we get a new question that we can ask. Like these married couples, we can ask, with any new endeavor, any new commitment, any new purchase, before we get ourselves into it, we can ask, will this help me be more devoted to the Lord, or will this distract me from being devoted to the Lord? Will this divide my devotion to the Lord? Dilute it. We'll end like he does in verse 35. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint on you. I'm not trying to dampen your fun. I'm not trying to make your life miserable. I'm not trying to keep you from doing things that are good. But to promote good order, which just means that the way you live is going to be visibly to the people around you in good order. You're going to seem like you know who you are and what you're about. You're not going to seem like you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off trying to do a billion different things at once. To promote good order and, and here's the bottom line, to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Undivided devotion to the Lord. Somebody asked Jesus, what's the most important commandment? There's 600 commandments. What's the most important one? Do you remember what it was? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. Now that commandment again reveals that we're designed for a singular focus. You can't love the Lord your God with all your heart while you're also loving something else that's tangential to your love for God. All your heart. Your heart's meant to work completely together as a unit, not segmented off into bits and pieces. And this, as a Christian, now can be our organizing principle for everything that we approach in life. Loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, we tend to approach life in a divided mindset. Here comes the visual aid. Let's see if this is going to work. So we tend to approach our life, and there's things that we, we know we need to do, things that are good and important. And we need to love our families. If we're married, we need to be attentive to our wives. If we have children, we need to take care of our children. So we do these things. We know we need to work. We've got to work hard in this life to be able to provide for our families if we have families, or even if we don't have families, we've got to work. We've got to eat, got to go to the grocery store, got to make a menu, got to figure out what we're going to eat this week, got to go to the grocery store again. I feel like Meredith's entire life is summed up with what are we going to eat? And the kid's saying, I'm still hungry. She's either making a menu, writing down a menu, shopping, returning with groceries, cooking, cleaning up. We eat a lot. We got to take care of our stuff. We have a home. We have a car. We got to keep it clean. We got to keep it neat. We got to maintain our finances, keep control of what's going on with our finances. We need probably a savings account. We probably need, should be thinking about retirement. Why didn't I think about retirement? We've got people in our lives that we need to keep track of. Have you called your mom in the last week? I had an uncle who set a reminder every eight days to call his mom. He figured a week was too regular. If it was every seven days, she would notice it was every Tuesday. Uh, less than seven days was just more than he could handle. Eight days was perfect because it, she would be thinking, oh, it's about a week. I should be hearing from him. And then sure enough, on the eighth day, he would call. 
We've got people we need to keep track of. And then we've got stuff that we just want to do. Yeah, I love tennis. I really want to find time to play some tennis. We've got sports we want to play. I also really like basketball. I'd love to get some basketball in. Oh, man. A new season of Madam Secretary just came out on Netflix. I want to watch at least four episodes of that a night. Oh, and I'm a Christian. Duh. i got to find time for a quiet time. I'll try to get up early. And Matt's going to, i got to go to church because Matt's going to be like calling me. So i got to go to church. And so we live our lives like this. With all these endeavors and all these pursuits, inevitably something new will come up. Something's got to go. First, easiest thing, the thing that's the least loud, the thing you can get away with the most, anything having to do with your faith. Stop reading your Bible, stop praying, stop going to church. You'll add it on when you can, but right now, you've got all this going on. I don't have time for that. Sunday morning is my one chance to sleep in so I can live my life. This is a terrible way to live. You're not designed like this. Now, what Jesus Christ offers us is complete remodeling of ourselves. New hearts designed the way they were meant to, loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So that that becomes not just an add-on, but it becomes who we are. It becomes our organizing principle. And so we go through our life, and as Christians... I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength by and through loving my family. I love the Lord my God with all my heart by loving my wife the way Christ loved the church. I love the Lord my God with all my heart by bringing my children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord and nurturing, protecting, caring for them, and trying to be a, a godly father to them. I love the Lord my God with all my heart by working hard in such a way that's excellent that that serves other people well and brings him glory and is a good witness. I love the Lord my God with all my heart by making good decisions about what I eat. I'm not going to get obsessed with fitness and nutrition where this becomes the organizing principle of my life, but it's a part of me being a steward of my body. It's a part of me loving the Lord my God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength. I love the Lord my God with all my heart by loving the people in my life. I may not be able to call you every day, but because I love God so much, I love you too. He created you, and I'll try to be attentive and serve the people in my life. But that's not the organizing principle. That's not the priority. The priority is my undivided devotion to the Lord. I take care of my stuff. I'm a good steward of my things because I love the Lord my God with all my heart, and he gave me these things, and I want to, from gratitude, take care of them. And then there's some things I have a decision to make. Does this fit in with who I am, my organizing principle, my wholehearted devotion to the Lord? Does this fit in with my single-minded focus on loving the Lord my God with all my heart? Sometimes it might. Sometimes it might not. Different seasons of life call for different things. Sometimes loving the Lord my God with all my heart can include watching some Netflix Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes that's just laziness. 
It just depends. It takes walking in the Spirit discernment. But this is not going to be the organizing principle of my life. This is. I love the Lord my God with all my heart by how I use my finances. By working hard and being wise and not spending too much and trying to be generous. And life lived like this is doable. Life lived like this in light of the priority. Our undivided devotion to the Lord is doable. We're not all divided up. I'm not trying to be over here and over there at the same time. I'm just right here loving the Lord. That's the kind of wholeness in practical life that comes about through undivided devotion to the Lord. I want to challenge you to do something that I did this week. Get a sheet of paper today, because if you don't do it today, your arms are going to get loaded down with stuff and you're going to get too busy. Before the sun sets today, get a piece of paper and a pen, put a line down the center, Okay, on the the left side, the first side, just write loving God. And then write everything that you're pursuing in your life. All the the aspects of your life that just fit neatly in there. Yes, I do this because I love the Lord my God with all my heart. And then on the other column, write all the other stuff. The stuff you're just doing, who knows why you do it. Maybe you're just doing because it gives you relief from stress. Maybe you're just doing because it's what you've always done. Maybe you're doing because people expect you to do those things. And the goal is to eventually have nothing in that category at all. Either it needs to be brought into the category of, I do this because I'm devoted to the Lord, or you probably just need to discard it altogether. But it's a helpful exercise. It's been very helpful to me this week. It's given me a more nuanced, a more robust language to think about stress and anxiety. It's given me a more biblical language to address it in my life, and I hope that it does that for you as well. My prayer for you and for me, for all of us, may we be free from anxieties. May we live lives of good order and undivided devotion to the Lord through the power of Jesus Christ, the freeing power of the gospel. May we be made whole. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and how practical it is. Lord, I just pray just that for us, that you would help us to be devoted to the Lord in an undivided way. And any and every one of us that's struggling with anxiety, especially acute anxiety that's very, very difficult, I pray that you would just help them to see next steps to move toward wholeness through Jesus. Maybe who they can go to to seek counsel and ask for advice. Lord, let this be our organizing principle as people, that we love you with our whole heart, our whole mind, all our strength. And let us live in light of that. In Jesus' name, amen.